0: and forever. Moments go, time runs out, and then it hits you with the pain of things of freedom.
1: You're listening to the Gods the Ghost Volleyball Podcast, and your host Scott Bemke. Our podcast today features the Balboa Island Beach Rat, John Valile. Before we get to John's accolades in the sport of volleyball, he was also a phenomenal basketball player, winning two NCAA titles for John Wooden's UCLA Bruins in 1969, and also 1970 at the guard position. He then played in the NBA from 1970 through 1975. When it comes to his volleyball career, he won eight Opens on the beach, including the prestigious 1969 Manhattan Beach Open alongside Ron Von Hagen. In 2017, John was inducted into the California Beach Volleyball Association Hall of Fame and now spends his time doing presentations about Coach Wooden's pyramid of success. Let's get started with John Vallalay's interview. So speaking with John Vallalay today, we're gonna run through a handful of questions here about your uh, incredible volleyball career, basketball career, and um, a bit about what you're up to nowadays. Let's start here from the beginning with, uh, how did you, uh, tell us a bit about your background, John, and how you became involved with the sport of volleyball. I grew
2: up in uh, Newport
1: Beach
0: on a little uh, Balboa Island, and my father was in the boat rental business, and so I grew up working with boats and renting and painting and cleaning and raking beaches and doing things for paddleboards, kayaks. Then from there, it became surfing. Surfing was really important to me from about the age of nine. I had my first surfboard about then used to ride a bike over to the Newport pier and surf both sides of the pier all the time. And, uh, I was very small at the age of, uh, 14, let's see 14. I think it was, yeah, I went into high school and I was five foot six, about 125 pounds and, uh, loved sports surfing was my favorite. And then grew six inches during my sophomore year, and uh, started to be interested in uh, volleyball. But also was
1: playing a lot of basketball from eighth grade on. And then uh, the volleyball came in uh, a bit after that. Then too, you picked. Did you play that in high school, or just down at the beach then, or where?
0: There wasn't any high school volleyball for boys at that day at that time, and so at about. 15 or 16 I started playing beach volleyball as I grew and was able to play Uh, Love the beach, of course love being around surfing love being uh, in the atmosphere of the beach and with of course girls and um, The whole the whole atmosphere of beach volleyball went with to me surfing uh, so And then when I wasn't doing that, of course, in the wintertime, I was shooting lots of hoops. I had a basket on the back of our house here on Babel Island, and I shot really When there was nothing else to do, um, that's what I was doing, shooting hoops.
1: Well, it paid off. You ended up uh, playing two years of junior college basketball, I believe, at Orange Coast uh, College. And then uh, from there, you went on to UCLA and played for John Wooden. That's a pretty interesting story to say the least can you tell us a bit about how that came to be and what you recall about uh your years with ucla playing on those incredible teams and for arguably the greatest basketball coach that ever lived
0: well i think getting there was maybe more important uh came out of high school with a solid c plus grade point average and uh there were some people interested in me, and I was offered some scholarships, but decided to go to Orange Coast College. Thank goodness I did. I met this uh, beautiful girl there named Karen, and uh, we went out on a blind date, but I knew who she was. She knew who I was. She was a song leader there, and, and uh, we had a great time that first night, and that the next night, she said, sure, let's go to the library, and uh, it seems to me, my recollection is is that I asked her what a library was. <laughs> She said it was a quiet place where we could get something done, and I thought, oh, this is too good to be true, And but uh, to be honest, we went to the library, and we studied, but then got closer and spent more time together, and she really encouraged me to get with it academically, which I hadn't done as much as I could have. And so the grade point average came up, and that's when uh, many more schools, including USC and and uh, UCLA and some out-of-state places, uh, Washington and Nebraska and stuff like that, were interested. But uh, something about UCLA, and uh, I think uh, a lot of people wonder if they could ever play at that level. And I, people question whether I should, but unless I try. And of course, they had this great coach, and they had a pretty good center by the name of Lew Cinder and Sydney uh, Wicks was going there Curtis Rowe was going there and Lynn Shackelford, Kenny Heights Steve Patterson I thought uh, I need to go there and see if I can do this and so I did and turned out to be a pretty good fit for the UCLA basketball team
1: Now I think I recall seeing Lynn Shackelford on some of those late 80's ESPN volleyball broadcasts so I did not know that he had a basketball background like that, so that's pretty interesting.
0: Yeah. Lynn Shackelford actually started on three of those national championship
2: teams.
1: Wow, there were some great ones that came through there, to say the least. Now, uh, playing for Coach Wooden, he's revered and renowned for his coaching accomplishments as well as his famous Woodenisms and Pyramid of Success. Are there any in particular that as far as his, his life lessons that have resonated with you throughout your uh your, throughout your life's journey, John?
0: I, I think that if uh, every coach, every player in the NBA could learn one lesson that would be really wise. The first one would be to surround yourself with people and ideas that you respect. And coach Wooden learned that from Abe Lincoln. It was one of his favorite mentors. And uh, when you think about what a athlete goes through, it's really important to be around people that you've vetted and figured out what they might be able to do to participate in your life. It's unfortunate that so many professional athletes end up coming out of their sport without wise counsel concerning their finances and so forth. So many of them end up broke and they go to situations that are more difficult than they have to be but that is to say that I wasn't very fortunate because I was surrounded by my father who was a small businessman and I watched him and worked in his little boat rental operation and saw him work hard and bring in some money posted in his journal and showed me how the expenses went out so uh, that sort of mentorship is really important. It's unfortunate that everybody
2: can't see something like that. Mm-hmm. That responsibility was great, Coach Wooden. Uh, uh, you know,
0: gave me that first concept, and the other one that I liked the most was never try to be better than someone else, but never cease trying to be the best that you can be. And it, uh, in this point, you would never compare yourself to someone else, and I think a lot of people spend their lives doing that, because each one of us, as Coach shared with us, is different, there's nobody like another person, so why would you ever compare yourself to another person, I thought that was really good too, to become the person you're capable of becoming, uh, was good direction, and he learned that by
2: the way, from his father, Joshua Wooden. And so when you start to
0: think about these people and what they represented, certainly it's surrounding yourself with people and ideas you respect. And it's a lifelong process. It's not just these two concepts, but they direct you to find out more about what might happen in your life and what you can do to help yourself and your family.
1: Absolutely. And you've continued on with that through this day, a lot of those lessons with so much that you've applied it to, from my understanding.
0: Absolutely and uh, one of the other ones the Coach used to share with us is you cannot live a perfect day without doing something for someone else whom you know cannot repay you Um, and, and the greatest gift is the one we give to another with no expectation of something in return and he got that from Mother Teresa so think about these folks that Wooden surrounded himself with and then think about some of the people and ideas that we might use as his players or people that were associated with UCLA basketball, I think it's helped a lot of us.
1: Well, it certainly did on the, on the court, you ended up winning two NCA championships in the time that you were there. And didn't you switch from playing forward to a guard there, which was pretty unheard of at that type of level too, considering you came from the junior college ranks right to the peer program in the nation. And you made that transition pretty seamlessly, which, uh, not everybody could do from my understanding
0: well it it wasn't maybe seamless it was uh, a challenge to say the least because I did play forward in junior college and uh, was required to do a lot of different skills from that guard position but I was a good shooter and with Lou Alcindor as our center we needed somebody we needed several people to take the pressure off of him by shooting hoops making the baskets you know and so I fit into that scheme pretty well, but as far as my ball handling skills and bringing the ball up the court with speed, like some of the guards in the past at UCLA, I wasn't maybe as adept as, you know, with great speed, but I was able to get the ball up and get it into the right people's hands, and, and uh, the transition was not easy, but because I could shoot well, I fit in really nicely, and uh, it probably looked more seamless, <laughs> seamless than it was.
1: From my understanding, you uh, dribbled left-handed and then shot right. Is that correct?
0: Yes, I did. Uh, I don't know why. I just uh, the left hand seemed like it was more, uh, more m- much more easy for me to fake one way and go another and do a little crossover dribble with the left hand. Um, and plus, you know if you shoot as much as I did, you want to let that right hand rest as much as possible.
1: Right, you got to save it for the good stuff, getting the putting the ball in the basket. And you were a dead eye as a shooter. How did you get the moniker, nickname from Coach Wooden, of Mister Money?
0: Well, Coach picked that up from I think Dick Enberg, who announced it one night on one of the shows that I was having a good night. It actually came from one of my junior college transfers. Uh, one of the guys on the crew team went up to Enberg. Uh, I think at halftime or whatever, and told Dick Enberg that I was called the money man at Orange Coast College, where I scored a lot of baskets. And uh, anyway, there's a lot of ways to fool people. And so, <laughs> so uh, but I did like shooting the ball when there was a challenge taking place. And, and so uh, Coach Wooden just went with that. And
1: you know, I think more of a tease than anything else. Moving on to your volleyball career then, uh, 69, you won that NCAA championship, uh, your first of two, and then you went out on to the beach and ended up winning, I think, what, five tournaments that summer, uh, including the, uh, um, was that the year that you, that you won the Manhattan Beach Open? Uh, the most prestigious granddaddy of them all. So let's talk a bit about how that came about how you ended up pairing up with Ron Von Hagen and, and what did you learn from playing with him? What was that like? Well, I
0: had I think we should start with that. I, I had the good fortune of playing with some of the older players like Dick Davis, okay,
2: who was a star from yesteryear at, at the time. And I believe he was coaching
0: sports at uh, basketball at UCI. And so playing with him and several others, I kind of worked my way up where uh, I guess Lang and Von Hagen were uh, changing directions I think Lang wanted to play with Butch May and uh, Ron asked me at, I was at 19 years old he was at 29 I think you know 10 years difference in our ages but he had seen me play and knew I had some ability and uh, asked me to play with him in the Corona Del Mar Open And ironically, we ended up playing against Butch May and Ronnie Lang in the final. And, uh, Ronnie Lang was really good at digging balls that were hit hard and hit in a certain way. And uh, I remember playing against Ronnie, I'm playing on the right side, but Higgins on the left. And and, uh, I'm going up real high and I'm hitting these balls pretty hard down. And a couple of them, Ronnie Lang dug. And so Von Hagen then you know, took me aside and said, look, you you can hit the ball like that, but there's a better place to hit it, and that's where nobody is. <laughs> always and the voice of reason. But, you know, the, the youth always says, oh, I just want to go up and hit the ball as hard as I can straight down. Well, it doesn't always work so well that way. He says, uh, deep middle is the safest place that you can hit a volleyball in two-man volleyball. So once I started doing that, they, uh, I was able to hit the ball in the sand. So if you move from the deep middle to the, to the uh, lines or you know whatever, you change everything up because it's really hard to dig a ball from a guy who's on the net and hitting deep middle. So I was served and served and served uh, all the balls in that match.
2: And I might have played one more tournament with Ron where people tried serving me.
0: But then it didn't work very well. So by the time Ron and I had moved on together to win tournaments, they started serving him. And I thought that was ironic because here's this guy who's the most experienced and most reputable player playing with this guy who's now setting the ball all the time. And so we had a lot of fun siding people out.
1: Yeah, it had to. That made you feel pretty good if um, you were that potent as an offensive player that they switched up and went to Von Hagen, whose you know it, moniker it, it, in life was uh, one, two, three. This ball goes down. The king of siding out.
0: Well, that and so I joined him during the time that I played with him. And I think that was our greatest strength: is our ability to side out.
1: now that uh the manhattan open that year you beat you know larry rundle and and henry bergman who's you know ron lang considers them to be the toughest team he ever competed against what do you recall about that manhattan beach open and what it was like to win such a prestigious event and you were what all of 20 or 21 years old at that point in time
0: correct uh i was really excited to be playing in the Manhattan Beach Open with a huge crowd on the beach. Uh, It was really fun to get to play against Rundle and Bergman. And again, we focused on our ability to control the ball. And we did a little blocking on Henry. And of course, Rundle was at the top. Both of those guys were at the top of their game. But our strength in siding out is what made the difference. And We played against Rundle and Bergman three times, I believe, and according to Ron, Von Hagen, we never lost to them. So if they were the best team of them, I kind of like elevating Ron's in my game,
1: at least our experience, to a high level. If my memory serves me right, after talking with Von Hagen, you may have also played him in that... uh... I believe it was called the Seaside Tournament where it's just two teams that are invited to that club and then you beat them there too, although that technically wouldn't have counted as a win, but you, that maybe would have made you 4-0 and against them. Does that ring a bell?
0: It does. I remember going and playing at the club. I, can't, I think it was the
1: Jonathan Club. Okay, the, that's the one.
0: The, this little match. And so it was fun just to go up with my wife Karen or girlfriend of Karen at the time and, and participating at the club. And you know, it was one more match against Rundle and Berkman, which is exhausting, <laughs> but it, it's a, it was a great win for
1: us. People often, you rave about the extreme power of which Henry could hit a ball. Um, is a uh, a fair and accurate assessment that he he really was uh, truly exceptional when it came to that? Yeah, Henry, Henry had a
0: really fast arm swing, and he could hit the ball with power down the left line or hit it across court, so you had to pick some sort of an angle to try to block him and or fake one way and go another and uh, hopefully get him to try something different that uh, you know, Ronnie Von Hagen could run down and so... Anyway, our, our real key, though, again, was that we didn't give the team other points. You know, and the other thing is, is we were playing in an era where side-out was important, and so Ron and I were in really good shape, and that helped us, I believe, as well.
1: Absolutely. Now, as you're probably well aware, Coach Wooden had a profound impact uh, on Von Hagen's mindset and approach to the sport of beach volleyball and life in general even to this day. Was this apparent to you when you played with him in 69 and and 70 a little bit? Um, If so, what what else did you learn from Von Hagen playing with him uh, over those two summers?
0: Well, I think that uh, Ron's honesty and his thinking and how it related to everything that was on the court and anything that we would try to do, he was absolutely transparent in sharing with you what might help you be a better player. He was so sincere. These are two parts of the pyramid of success. His uh, his integrity at all times regarding volleyball was at the highest level. And, uh, of course, he had skills that were incredible. That's part of the pyramid of success. Um, he really wanted his team to do well. I think that was great, and he was certainly affected by that. And, you know, again, I always like to go back to Competitive greatness, well, you know, alert to weakness; those are all so important. But competitive greatness, being the best you can be, Ron was really focused on being the best player that he could be on the court at once. And if there was some way he could help his team be better, then he would talk about it with me, and uh, and, and so then we'd play our hand. And it wasn't a, it wasn't as much for either one of us as about winning, as it was about being the best team that we could be. And again, back to what we can perfect. We can control. It's what you can control that makes a difference. Those things that are out of control, somebody's bigger than you, someone's faster, someone's smarter than you, that's irrelevant. What's relevant is being the best player that you can be and control uh, passing or setting or blocking or whatever, control your attitude as you go through the contest. Those are the things that we were always focused on And then the result takes care of itself, and this is what Wooden was teaching you. He really wanted us to understand that there's always going to be these people that that are going to be better than you, but never compare yourself to another. Just find your purpose in being the best you can be. Ronnie did that.
1: He sure did, as did you. Pretty cool. Now, you played against some of the greatest beach volleyball players, albeit briefly, during your career. You had incredible success. I believe you won eight of the 14 opens you entered. What do you attribute that incredible success rate to? Obviously, Coach Wooden and, and the pyramid of success factors into there that you've already talked about. Um, and then also, what do you feel your greatest strengths were as a volleyball player at that period?
0: I think probably that my ability to move and jump was good, I was quick. I could jump well, but my knees were somewhat faltering. I was taking cortisone in my knees, which wasn't a great thing to take. But uh, I think I wasn't as gifted as many that would last a long time in the sport, either volleyball or basketball. And uh, my greatest strength, I think, was my focus, again, on the things that I could control in volleyball. And I did. I also... It's not recognized always, but I won a tournament with a guy named Brian Lewis up in Santa Cruz one year against M. Wally and Gage, and I thought that was a great win because my partner Brian was a really good setter and a good defender, but he wasn't a great leaper, and siding out was not his strength, and so we kind of played where he took just a small portion of the board on the serves, and I took the rest. But the two of us managed to win, in spite of that, against a really good team at the time. And so that was that was a lot of fun. Once I stopped playing with Ron and getting to play with some others, like Bobby Garcia, I played with him in San Diego, we got a second. One of the other really fun tournaments for me was playing with Pete Ott, down in Laguna Beach against Von Hagen and
2: Lang in the final. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was uh,
0: great experience to play with for players. After Ron and I had won a lot, pass set hit to me wasn't as
2: much fun. It was actually more fun to go out and play with different people and try different
0: things. It, you know, pass set hit win. Uh, was something that we achieved. My goal was to win every tournament on the Pacific Coast and once I had achieved that, I felt like I could go and have some fun with some of my close friends besides Rock. And uh, while it was a great experience to win a lot on these in these tournaments, it was also fun to play with others and then I was also doing a little bit of volleyball with the Wilt's Big Dippers, a little exhibition team for a while that uh, that's kind of a funny story, too. I have two funny stories. Pete Ott, when we were playing uh, down in Laguna, we had to flip. I think we were, we came back through the losers or something like that. We had to flip to see who was going to get side and serve. And Pete was this, like, almost gymnastic sort of a guy who's really a great jumper. So the referee said, let's have a flip. And Pete did a perfect flip, backward flip, and landed on his feet. <laughs> And I thought surely we would get the choice then
2: right. uh, of side and serve and the fans went absolutely nuts and I was on the stand laughing so hard I
1: could hardly stand it I had no idea who was going to do this <laughs> so that was pretty cool Right. and then you were involved with the Big Dippers then too for Wilt. I heard that did uh, it in, in Gene Selznick that was what he ran for that if I re- remember correctly and that did a ton to promote the sport too did it not
2: Yeah, I think it was kind of the start
0: of uh, professional volleyball, if you could call it that. Um, Gene was the organizer, and he was good buddies with Wilt. And so they had to get players to surround him. So Keith Erickson did a little bit of it, and uh, Henry Bergman, or excuse me, uh, Larry Rundle and I ended up being the kind of the passers and the guy that up the. Whole game for Wilt. Uh, we had Lang, I think, on a couple of occasions. We had Toshi and, um, and of course Gene set the ball for us. But Randall and I did all the work and, uh, and we made Wilt look the best we possibly could because he played left side. He didn't pass the ball. We didn't want him to touch the ball on a pass. And if we could get the ball up in his hands, he'd hit it high enough and hard enough that people weren't able to do much with his hit. And so, but Larry and I were getting $100 a night for doing this, and we're doing all the work. So, I was kind of at the top of my game and playing volleyball on the beach and, and, and had some notoriety for that and also had won a national championship in basketball. So, I uh, thought I should ask for a little bit more money, and so I asked uh, Gene if I could get more than $100 like Seemed to me we we're taking like $3,000 a night out on the till. Wilf, of course, was getting up because of his name, and I guess rightfully so, but I thought I was uh, a little bit notable, so I asked him for $400 a night. So Gene says, Well, he says, I got to go to Wilt and ask him, see what he says. So Wilt gives him the message that we probably, uh, it's not going to work out. So Gene comes back to me and he says, John, he says, I talked to Wilt. He says, Wilt says we don't need you anymore. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, boy. I feel
0: like I had the hand in pro, pro volleyball to some degree.
1: <laughs> right, and then uh, you got your walking papers, John. They told okay. Mr. Money to take a walk.
0: Stuff like this happens to every athlete, sooner or later.
1: <laughs> That's some good stuff. I bet uh, those were some, some fun ones. Now, were you on that team with them, or you were on the exhibition team of players on the other side uh, playing against them, or, or, or both? No, right and I passed all the balls, we were on the four-man team that was called Wills okay. Big, and we played against six-man teams from, it seems to me, Manhattan Beach down to Laguna, San Diego, and Gene would set these games
0: up at all these different, gyms and, you know, we'd get announced and promoted and, and Gene did all that work or set it up through the New and it was just a fun evening where people could see the best players, I guess, at the time play their game.
1: Good stuff. Um, what what was your thoughts on Wilton and his volleyball talent? He couldn't play. I've heard that from a handful of people without mentioning any names. <laughs> no, he, he, he really he couldn't pass the ball. He
0: wasn't skilled in that. I mean, he never had time to develop the skills, though. Uh, although he started playing on the beach once he got playing with the Lakers. He'd spend his summers down there. But it wasn't his thing to do that, and his, his feet weren't as quick as a lot of the rest of us as far as moving and getting in position to pass the ball. His hands
2: were terrible, of course they were really large, but uh, maybe that volleyball was something he just, he
0: wasn't good at setting a volleyball. Mm -hmm. And then like my friend uh, Eddie Becker was a guy who played six man at UCLA indoors, also played some beach volleyball. Eddie always used to tell me, he says, I can't wait to play against Wilt because he's so easy to hit it past his block. Because Wilt would go straight up and reach over but he left all the angles open so anybody who was a clever hitter could get it by him. So, Wilt, well, but let's give Wilt his credit, though. He brought notoriety to the game because of who he was, and we all give him credit for that. And uh, he was a
2: fun guy to play with, even if he didn't want to share the money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: That's funny. Wilt says we don't need you anymore. Great story. Uh, Speaking of characters like Wilt, let's uh, move along here. Um, That era that you played in there in the the late 60s and and early 70s, there was a lot of phenomenal players and characters that were competing in the game. I'm going to mention a few of them now, one at a time. And we'd love to hear your take on that player, you know, things like maybe what their best skill was, a funny story about them, a memorable play that you witnessed them uh, uh, display during a match, um, you know, or a memorable match or or point you had against them. So let's start uh, from uh, the beginning here against the team that you were 4-0 against, or one half of it anyway. What, What can you tell us about Larry Rundle?
0: Larry was one of the smartest guys in the game and highly skilled. I mean, he could play indoor or, you know, six-man, and he was one of the best at that, as I understand, although I wasn't around the indoor six-man game because I was run off the court at UCLA by J.D. Morgan, the athletic director. But uh, Larry was a very talented player who could hit the ball in any direction who had all the shots cut shots and and everything it's super competitive
1: good what about his partner henry bergman
0: henry was uh unfortunately we don't have henry with us anymore but he was a guy who uh, came out of santa barbara and just was uh, so notable for how hard he hit the ball and could bounce it off the sand best way to play against Henry was to try to block something make him change up his direction and we did a little of that with Henry and had some success but uh, super competitive as was Larry Rundle his partner and uh, really fun to watch
1: Bob Clem Bob Clem remember who
0: he he might have played with uh, Vogie. Uh, and he came, I think, out of San Diego. I can't remember his partners, but played against him several times. Seems to me, he played the left side. Really, really nice guy. I don't remember a whole lot more than that. I played against him a few times. Can't remember
1: Scott. This is fifty years later now. <laughs> yeah, I know. What about uh, Ronnie Lang?
0: Ronnie was one of the most clever intellectual volleyball players I ever played against. He, uh, He was great at strategy and knowing the other team's weaknesses and how to take advantage of them. I was always amazed that Ron could hit the ball as hard as he did not being able to really jump very high this guy i'm telling you barely barely cleared the net but hit the ball by everybody and had every shot in the book
2: was a great defender and super competitive and also a really fun guy
1: off the court was he as intimidating as people talk about when he was on the court like he just was going to grind you into the ground with no remorse well he tried to be but you know
0: it's like come on man forget about it i was coming from a basketball court where i mean i had to try to guard somebody like west or oscar robertson or i was playing with Lou cinder and i mean it it wasn't intimidating to me the only thing that mattered to me was figuring out, you know, what I could do to get the ball by him, so he wouldn't dig it or touch it. And once, once Von Hagen had explained to me that deep middle was really a good idea, I was able to get the ball by Ronnie. But uh, I wouldn't say he was intimidating. He was—I was very respectful. Let's put it that way.
1: Right. Yeah. I've I've heard the stories that he. Um... He could just put his knees in the sand and dig balls that you never thought were possible, and and you learned that firsthand, it sounds like, until you followed Von Hagen's advice and started putting it where he wasn't.
0: Well, yeah, I only hit a couple balls at him and and got to see him dig him, and that was enough, and then he never, I, I don't remember him digging a lot more balls after that, but it was mainly because I was learning the strategy of the game, too, and, Again, L- Ronnie Lang was considerably older than me too and had a lot of experience on the beach by the time I
2: arrived at that level.
1: One of your fellow UCLA Bruins and uh, a guy that I believe along with Rafer uh, Johnson, Coach Wooden, calls the two best athletes he ever coached, Keith Erickson. What do you recall about him?
0: Uh, Keith, Keith was... One of the best players on the beach without question. Um, he was dedicated to his basketball career, actually asked him to play in a tournament one time, and he didn't want to, he didn't, he was really, I think maybe saving himself for what he did for a living, which was playing basketball, and I probably should have taken a lesson from that as well since my knees weren't very good. But Keith could do everything on the court, and. In addition to that, he was like six foot five. So if you could six five and could jump and you could set a ball and you could dig a ball and you could pass a ball and you were as competitive as he was, oh my gosh. But he wasn't on the beach as much as uh, I was during that time. So I did play against him and Selznick on the beach. Uh, they, were, they were good friends. And so I did see him, I think, a couple times when Von Hagen and I were playing together.
1: Speaking of Gene, he was later in his career at that time. But uh, what do you recall about him and, and his volleyball talents, and then also about his one of a kind personality that you know seemed to you know single handedly raise the sport like nobody else in the history.
0: <laughs> Celtic was a character. He was really fun to be around. He ran the Wilt Big Dippers again, but. On the court, he was at the end of his career. When he and Keith played together, Keith never saw a serve, so it was a test of his setting skills to make sure he could get it somewhere near the net where Selznick could hit it. But Gene's legs were really washed out, I think. Uh, He still had a great arm swing. He still had a great attitude, but it was hard for them to compete with the best teams at that time because Gene was at the end of his volleyball days but fun to be around and a laugh at a minute. And uh, when he was running the dippers, I, I was, he couldn't help but be laughing at everything he did. And he was just fun.
1: Great. Uh, Kirk Kilgore.
0: Kirk Kilgore was my uh, roommate when I went to UCLA. And I'll never forget. I think it was in the Corona Del Mar Open. He was playing with Rudy Sawara and uh, and and so the two of them were really good hitters. They were big, good arm swings, and Kirk could kill the ball. And uh, anyway, we we're playing against and Omar, maybe in the quarters or semis, whatever. And Kirk hit a ball so hard at me, and he caught me with the hit. The ball hit between my head
2: and my shoulder, right in the neck area there. And <laughs> it happened so fast
0: that there was nothing I could do, but he hit me with the ball. It was kind of like me hitting the ball at Lang, except that this was a complete accident. The ball went up in the air, barely touched the top of the net, and flipped over on their side. It was like I knew what I was doing, (laughs) but I had no clue, and Kirk was a terrific player, And uh, anyway, we were roommates for the first quarter up at UCLA, but he had a lot of interest in just sort of kind of watching TV and doing stuff, and so I I had to focus on more stuff than what he was willing to focus on, so we split up after the quarter and uh, went our separate directions, and then he was focused on volleyball under Al Skates, and so he went that direction. Kirk was a good beach volleyball player. I'm not sure if he ever won a tournament on the beach but he was always in the top two or three uh, on, on the beach. Grew up in Manhattan Beach and was about
1: six foot three and could jump really well, and he was left-handed. And had a whip for an arm, from my understanding, as it your, your neck nice. can attest to. <laughs> I still have the bruise. <laughs> right, and you wear it proudly. Um, did you have any interaction with Vogel saying back in the day?
0: Yavogi yeah, was just a fun guy he's, uh, he's got this what he thought was a really effective jump serve but it wasn't that effective
2: <laughs>
0: and anyway Vogue was kind of uh, a really fun loving guy down there I can't even remember all the people he played with I think I might have even played with him once uh, I think I might have played with him once I can't remember for sure but I only remember him as a fun-loving guy and a good player, but we'd always try to wear vogie down a little bit. I'm not sure he was in as good a shape as some of the others. Vogie liked to party a little bit, and so uh, that that's what I remember about Vogie.
1: Yeah, I heard his uh, antics were pretty legendary with what he would do from having a beer at the back line of the court or uh, calling, not calling nets or, you know, calling balls that were out saying they hit the line or vice versa and just kind of was really good at getting under people's skin.
0: Absolutely. It was, it was hilarious.
1: <laughs> now, were there any other players that I didn't ask you about that you maybe want to bring up before we move on to the next question?
0: well because there were so many characters in the game at the time i have to bring up my friend ron Kuhn, who was a star volleyball player for six man at ucla under al skates Mm -hmm. and he was only six foot one but he could jump out of the gym it was like some sort of a monkey or something you know and and so he wanted to play with me in this tournament um and so we played in a tournament i think we were down at marine street or someplace like that and uh you know, had a good crowd for this match, so it must have been quarters or semis or something like that. And I'd set run, and they serve him all the time because he maybe wouldn't be as focused. But then he would get a good pass going, and I'd set the ball in the net, and he goes straight, he go sky high, and drill the ball from the left side, and drill it down the line, straight down, out of bounds. <laughs> And, and the ball would go so high in the air and the fans would go nuts and I said, Ron, the ball's in the middle hit the ball on the court he says, no, look what happened straight down and the people went nuts and it was like, what could be better than that?
2: oh
1: boy yeah, that's good stuff right there He's-
0: I still see him, he walks Balboa Island and so he comes by my house probably three or four times a week and I still tease him and laugh about it all the time He's a great guy, and uh, anyway, he had a great indoor career. He played with the Bangers, I think it was, which was the first indoor six-man uh, volleyball for, prof- for professional athletes, and he played on Wilt's team with him.
1: Yeah, that was a name that I wasn't familiar with, but I'm sure there's some quite a number of people that will be, oh, yeah, I remember him, so that's good stuff right there, John. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, and other players, I, you know, I got to, I got to see Dave Boardwell at the
2: very end. I think I was just coming up, and uh, some of his
0: clever antics out there and his ability to play the game was really awesome. And
2: but he was a lot older than me, so I didn't really get to play at the high level against him.
1: Clever antics, such as
0: just his. Uh, I guess he learned from the rest of the guys in Santa Monica how to just be really cocky and know exactly what you're doing, and and uh, and then enforcing his thoughts on the game.
1: He was quite a leaper, too, from my understanding.
0: He was, and and uh, you know I always was jealous of guys that could keep their knees in shape that long. Mine, mine kind of fell apart when I was. It seems like I was. 21 or 22 I started going backwards and, and uh, it was Kind of disturbing to experience, but you know every athlete's career has to change at some point, right? But the guys, the guys that would play 10 years in the volleyball was just amazing But if you have knees like I had no matter it wasn't a conditioning factor. It was a uh, genetic factor. I
1: think sure at your peak, where how how high could you jump? Von Hagen's always fond of me asking those questions, and and uh, what what did you touch officially?
0: Oh gosh, I don't know. I remember in the basketball gym, I could almost couldn't quite touch the top part of the white box that's behind the basket. There, you know, it's a little it's above the rim. I right. couldn't get all the way up there, but I got halfway up there. So so I don't know what that was, but. Um, I worked a lot on the jump and so forth, so that was helpful. Right. In basketball, especially in, in uh, volleyball, so.
1: You saw some really great hitters over the years. Who are the three most impressive that you ever saw and/or played against, John? I might be tough to narrow it down to three. So if you want to go five, that's fine. <laughs> Whatever works. I I would
0: say one of the most fun to watch was Pete Ott from Laguna Beach. Um, Certainly Henry Bergman. Keith Erickson was a great hitter. I played against Mike Bright and O'Hara there towards the end of their career, so I didn't get to see them at their peaks. But... uh, so I can't really identify them, but so those would be a, three of my I guess, would be uh, yeah, Bergman and and Keith, Erickson and certainly Pete Dot. that Pete didn't chase up and down the coast to play different tournaments to see Pete, he had to play in Laguna Beach his hometown.
1: I saw a picture of him in the Sands of Time book and it, he, he looked like he had a Pretty good snap on the ball, just based off of that one picture. But he could, he could really uh, lay into it. You're saying, yes, he could.
0: And uh, it was a really quick, quick arm swing, really fast. And and uh, yeah, he was fun to watch.
1: Conversely, who were the best uh, defenders you saw or competed against?
0: Maybe the best defender that I played against. Uh, I don't know. There's some guys that were smaller that played in lower levels that were really quick footed that could run balls down and so forth. I always remember Lang as being the top defender kind of at the time. Right. But Larry Rundle was really quick and could run balls down as well. Trying to think who used to make me mad, but I can't think of anybody. I guess I have finally mellowed out in my older age.
1: <laughs> had I caught you back then, you probably had a whole list of them.
0: Oh yeah, I probably would have been angry.
1: Yeah, This guy and that guy. and uh, uh, What about best team you competed against, and why were they the best?
0: Well, definitely Rendell and Bergman, because they were at they were the other team that was at the top at that time and they did everything well too. They they were good passers, good setters, both of them and, and, uh,
2: great hitters. As I look back, I'm a little surprised we beat them as many times as we
0: did, but, uh, I guess I shouldn't be surprised because we did the things that we could do to beat them, which was to handle the ball better than anybody. Pass that hit, pass that hit. We did that. And, uh, but they were certainly the best team at that time that we played against.
1: You won eight open in your career, John. If you had to single out your favorite win, which would it be and why? Well, I guess...
0: As far as the fun of playing the game, I, I wouldn't be able to pick one. As far as one that stands out, because it was kind of the... Uh, a national championship, if you if might say that, it would be the Manhattan Beach Open, but I loved winning at Laguna Beach and I, my home beach was Corona Del Mar. That was fun. I loved playing down in San Diego and Santa Cruz was always fun. Hermosa, you know, Marine Street, State Beach. Winning State Beach was really cool because that was kind of the center of volleyball at the time when Selznick was down there and, and Keith would come down and Bordwell, I think all those guys kind of came from up there, and and then there was uh, where Von Hagen played, can't even remember the beach uh, Toronto. So you'd hear these names
1: as a young kid, you know, and you'd always think, well, I wonder what it'd be like to go play there. And so it was always fun to go play and win tournaments at all those different beaches. And then you won them as a 21-year-old young kid sandwiched in between two NCAA basketball titles at UCLA. That's pretty neat.
0: Actually, I think I was 19 and 20. Gosh. Because uh, I went to UCLA as a 19-year-old, and that summer I played with Von Hagen, I think. And so that would have been back in uh, 69.
1: Yeah, you were like Kent Steffis winning those tournaments at such a young age. That's pretty impressive.
0: Well surround yourself with people and ideas you respect I guess I was lucky to be surrounded by Von Hagen
1: yeah well luck follows skill um do you watch today's game at all you know they with the shorter court and rally scoring and what's your thoughts on it if you you know from what you have seen of it John the only way
0: that I watched it is I have seen it on TV some, and they've changed the game so that it's a big battle at the net uh, in my day you, you couldn't go over the net on the beach and it was also a larger court I th- it, 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 and when you have rally scoring you have shorter games and shorter matches in, in the
2: day that I played I remember playing I immediately think of Manhattan Beach what it was
0: like to play a whole tournament in the hot sun siding out And so conditioning was a huge factor. A lot of times guys would cramp up and, uh, Von Hagen and I never cramped up. And so because we were in really good shape, I mean, it was, volleyball was kind of an offshoot for me to sort of stay in shape for basketball, except for the jumping. That probably didn't help me at all, but running in the sand, being in good shape was really important. So our matches were longer you know, and it was, uh, there was, I guess, more defense involved in the game. And I think the game that we see today is quick, and I think that probably helps them as far as TV is concerned. And But it's, it's fast, it's quick, and maybe that's what people want to see. We were doing it just because of the love of the game. Nobody was getting paid back in the day. And so... It's a completely different era.
1: As John Lee says, "Pride and bragging rights."
0: That's about it. It's really about it, and and so again, that was that was one of my things was to win all the tournaments up and down the co uh, the coast, and to play with other people and have some fun and enjoy the parties afterwards.
1: Yeah, I believe it. There was uh, plenty of that, from what I've heard. Yep, there was. Here's a hypothetical for you. In your prime, how would you do against a team like Dell Houser and Lucena playing old school rules like you played in from the 60s or 70s in court, side out scoring, no antennas, no blocking over, tight hand setting, best two out of three to 11. And then who would you pick as your partner to take them on and what would your strategy be to beat a big uh, a team like that?
0: Well, we played big teams and so I'd take Von Hagen And we would pass set and hit. And they can go up and block all they want, but they're not going to be able to block us that well if they can't come over the net. So uh, we would serve as tough as we can and try to make those big guys do things that they didn't do as well. Particularly when you look at the net now, Delhauser and those sorts of guys, they go and they they dominate the net because they're so big. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they can do some of the other things that we used to do. completely different eras it's like people say well this basketball player was better than that basketball player but they're different eras and so I just give credit where credit is due they're great players of their time and uh, give them the respect they deserve and to say someone's better than someone else it's hard to do.
1: Yeah, I've had those conversations with Von Hagen about, you know, how some people say Russell Westbrook is light years better than, like, a Gail Goodrich, but it's, how can you compare him, you know? He might be a better athlete, but, you know, there's also other aspects to the sport of basketball where he may not measure up to Goodrich, you know? It's kind of a... Well, yeah, I mean, Gail just really took advantage of what
2: he could do and control and and was a great shooter and Made very few mistakes,
0: but you, you could never compare the athletic ability to Westbrook. I mean, nobody in the nobody in the league probably compares much to Westbrook's athletic abilities, quickness, and speed, and stuff. But again, they're two different things. The game, the games are
1: about in being the best you can be with the teammates you got and see what happens. Absolutely. You mentioned um, there's a couple things that those guys now don't have that you guys did. In 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 particular, is there anything uh, regarding that that you think you'd have an advantage with? You'd have to force them
0: to pass the ball, and that's where you would try to break them down. Is make see if you can serve the ball in such a way that you can get them in a position where they can't control it as well. We used to do the same thing to Kilgore and Thor, people like that. Is, had. Yeah, there goes Ron Kuhn right now, he's walking right by my house, I see
1: <laughs> Tell him to keep it in this time, tell him but to I, stay I him in the I lines.
0: Gonna, I told him I was gonna put him on this uh, this message, and uh, so I've done that, I've, I, I was true to my statement.
1: <laughs> there you go, yeah, that's good. Um, Looking back on your illustrious career, John, you, you, you won two NCAA titles, eight beach opens. You've done some great things philanthrop- uh, philanthropically, the uh, lack of pronunciation here, um, wise off the court. Um, what are you most proud of and how would you like to be remembered? I tried
0: hard and did the best I could with what I had to work with. Um, And as a result, some good things happened. Some very difficult things happened as well in Karens and my life. And One of them was losing a child to cancer when she was 12 years old. But we fought the good fight. And ever since those days when she passed away back in 1991, we've been involved in a philanthropic effort to change the world for kids that are diagnosed with cancer when she passed away, only 40% of the kids were surviving. And today, 85% of the kids are surviving. And so over these many years, we've had our hand in changing that through the monies we've been able to raise for cancer research. And uh, so a terrible circumstance happened to us, but we've managed to Give our time to something that's valuable and have caused change. So that's that's been a real blessing.
1: Now, is that the Dribble for the Cure that you have out there? Well, or is that something different? The, the, the foundation is called Pediatric Cancer Research Foundation. Okay. It, it was begun about almost thirty years ago now, and
0: uh, that foundation is what has its hand in Dribble for the Cure which is at UCLA and St. John's in New York. And each year we have this event that has raised about $2 million. That's part of the $30 million that's been raised over all these years for children's cancer research. So
2: I've sat on the board of directors of the Pediatric Cancer Research Foundation. We call it PCRF
0: for short and very proud of the fact that we've been able to make a difference there
1: yeah as well you should be well done for my final question here john what are you up to these days uh in terms of occupation family and hobbies in your spare time
0: well uh we Today, I am involved in some real estate in Newport Beach that actually my father began with back in the 1930s. Um, He bought some property and he wanted to sell it. And so back in 1975, and I told him I I was out of pro sports at that point and he saved some money and wanted to hold on to this property. And I said, I think dad wanted you to go play golf and I'll take a small stipend to control the property. And. I think something really good's going to happen i guess right he told me he says john you can never make money in real estate
2: and,
0: <laughs> but the reason he said that is and it's adverse that back in the day when he was operating his boat rental operation the only way you could make a living was through a cash flow business and the real estate wasn't worth much down here yet but i saw it changing when i came out of sports and so i took over that business. We started a retail store called Newport Ski Company that was very successful in Newport. Started out as a little 3,500 square foot store and grew into 15,000 square feet and it was successful. And I did that for with a partner for about 25 years. And then we had another little bit that I got involved in. And these things happened as a result of my experience in pro basketball to make a little bit of money and to invest in these things. And so I had that for 30 years too and uh, sold it sometime just a few years ago. And and uh, so now we live down here in Newport Beach. I really enjoy living at the exact same location where I grew up on Balboa Island. And so I'm able to step out my front door and jump on a stand up paddleboard and paddle the harbor. Uh, one of the things we didn't mention here is that I uh, surfed for 50 years. I mean, surfed waves and love that. To death, but then when I had both knees replaced, I became a little slow. So now stand up paddling's fun for me. I play a lot of golf, play three days a week, get a good walk in, I swim quite a bit. Where I play golf also has a swimming pool, so I'm very fortunate that I get to continue to condition myself. And surely after New Year's, my wife and I are going to go skiing again. As I said, we were in the ski business for a long time. Right. So I put the braces on the knees and Get out there, and when I come down the mountain and end up in the line and going through the lift line, one time I was up at Snow Summit doing this, and the young person that was helping people get on the chair looked at me and clapped.
1: <laughs> Good stuff, right there.
0: Yeah. So anyway, we love to ski, and we don't go too fast. And we don't do bumps, and. I don't go hill skiing like I used to when I was in the business week with a helicopter and ski down hills and stuff. And so I've done a lot of sports, and I really enjoyed all that. I think I really had the blessing of getting to do a lot of those things, but also have paid attention to my business. So it's a little bit of business, and uh, the sand of paddling and golfing and swimming and, and a little bit of skiing. So I feel very fortunate that I'm still able
1: to do these things. Yeah, sounds like you've had a pretty full life there um, in a number of ways. Congratulations, John. And now paying it forward in so many different ways, too. So uh, really remarkable. I'm sure Coach Wooden would be real proud.
0: He he was helpful, too. I used to consult him a lot on different things. I went through cancer myself and had two stem cell transplants where one of them, they take all the blood from you and then they they uh, kill you off with ke- uh, chemotherapy back in the day this was some 12, 13 years ago and 14 years ago I guess And uh, so I went through that myself I had a, these non hodgkins lymphoma so now I've got a little uh, DNA from a man named Mr. Hoffmeister in Germany and his DNA and immune system dominates mine and so I've been 12 years cancer free so I feel very fortunate in that respect and wow. You know, so my family got touched by cancer and never dreamed these things would happen, but they did, and so it's fun It's fun to be involved in that philanthropic arm still, and we try to get back to New York to go to the dribble for the cure there at St. John's, and, and we always love doing it at UCLA with
1: my alma mater, so that's fun too. Yeah, I, uh, that's an incredible story with, with you with that stem cell um, transplant, and it gave you a new lease on life, and look at you now, and uh, how you're paying it forward in so many different ways. And um, yeah, can't can't say enough about you and what you've done with that. So, very- I've got great
0: friends, and associates, and uh, have had great business partners. So I guess I've been lucky to follow the uh, formula of surrounding yourself with people and ideas you respect, and found a faith in God as a result of. That experience
2: as well, and, uh, and and so between the faith and the pyramid
0: of success and the people around me, I've been blessed.
1: This concludes our interview with John Valile. Thanks for tuning in. I'd like to remind you that we have a website commemorating the sport of volleyball, which is gods2ghosts. We also have a Facebook page, which is gods to ghost volleyball, and a YouTube page which is also Gods to Ghost Volleyball. Lastly, I'd like to thank the musicians that we use for our podcast. The opening track is from the band Sponge. The song title is Rainin' off the album Rotting Pinata. The closing track is from the band Magna Carta Cartel. The song is That It's Already Too Late off the album Good Morning Restrained. Thanks again for listening.